Good morning, saints. I invite you to take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. We'll get to that in just a moment. We have uh, concluded about six or seven months preaching through the book of 1 John. And there's a key theme that I wanted to hit before we press the finish button. And that is the question or the doctrine of assurance of salvation. A beautiful, beautiful doctrine. Each and every one of us will have a reckoning with our Creator. As we stand before Him, before eternity. On that day, there will be one question posed to us. There will be no inquiry in regards to your political affiliation, whether you're Democrat or Republican or somewhere in between. There'll be no golden scales to determine if you have enough good works to outweigh your bad works. There will be no examination or exposure of your secret sins. There are no secret sins when you stand in the presence of God. There will be but one question. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Not have you heard of him? Do you like him? Do you think he's kind of neat? Do you try to follow his teachings? No. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you taken him to be your savior? Do you love him? We know one of the most terrifying passages in scripture, Matthew chapter 7, when the religious leaders, the hypocrites, stand before Christ and they use a very familiar term, Lord, Lord, it's us, let us in, we're here, look at all that we've done in your name. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Now, the theme, as we look at it this morning, assurance, is a good one. I reference Matthew 7 because it has to be referenced in a discussion like this. Today is Pentecost Sunday. On Christmas, we remember and we celebrate Emmanuel, God, with us. On Resurrection Sunday, Easter, we celebrate God is for us. He's risen. He has borne our sins and he has risen from the dead. On Pentecost, we remember and we celebrate God in us. By his spirit, as John told us. I'd like to frame today's message with a few scripture references. We'll begin with familiar territory And that is 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. This is a summative statement to conclude John's letter. 
verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And his, this life is in his son. This is the testimony. Remember, we said it many times. John, he's old. He's elderly now. He's writing to believers. How can I give them hope and direction and comfort and courage? This is the testimony. Eternal life is a gift. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. That's a very direct statement. If you have the son, you have life. If you do not have the son, you do not have life. It is all about Jesus Christ. Notice this possession and the assurance of it is not reserved for special Christians, for the spiritual ones, for the ones over there that we don't ever measure up to. This is the testimony. If you have Jesus, you have life. And notice what he says. You have it in the present tense. Saints, for those who have gone before us, who are in the presence of God, who will be forever in the presence of God, there is no difference between them and me and you if you're in Christ. If you are a child of God, you are a child now, right now. Watch how he continues this beautifully profound statement. Verse 13, I write these things to you, to you who believe in the name of the son of God. Watch that you may know that you have eternal life. I have just written you this letter from God forsaken Patmos that you would have courage, that you would have confidence, that you would have assurance. You believed in Jesus. You have the Son. You have eternal life. God wants us to be assured of His love for us, His acceptance of us. And eternity. All throughout the letter, over and over again. Remember, he's cyclical. He says the same thing over and over again, but in different ways. He basically says, well, look at your life. That's the entire proposition of the gospel. The life of God in the life of people. The life of God in the life of people. Through the gospel, we're reconciled to God. Our sins are forgiven. Pentecost Sunday, and God lives in us. 
John says, look at your life. Look at how, look at God at work in your life to develop comfort and assurance when you believe in the provision that God has given us. Here's how Paul walked with confidence. Second Timothy chapter one. This is the apostle Paul. But I am not ashamed for I know I know whom I have believed. I am convinced or persuaded. I am persuaded that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This was the Apostle Paul. Remember him? The guy who opposed Christians at every turn, the one who hated the way, the one who persecuted Christians, the one who was so out of sort with these little rubble rousers that he got special permission to go outside of Israel to go punish Christians. God changed him. God saved him. The life of God in the life of Paul. And here is Paul now. We know his story. We know his testimony. It's the book of Acts. That's the subtitle. Paul gets beaten up in whatever city he's in. Right? For the sake of the gospel. But what does Paul say? I know whom I have believed. I know it. I, have, I am persuaded that he is faithful I have put my faith and my trust in him. We won't read it, but at the end of chapter, of, at the end of second Timothy, where he talks about his life being poured out as a drink offering, he was ready to die. He was ready to die because he knew what was on the other side. My question to you is this. Do you live with God given confidence? That you are secure in God's love for you. You have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have put your faith and your trust in him. Or are you weighted down with guilt and insecurity and double guessing? I want to say this. It is the normal Christian experience for many to have periods of doubt. So I want you to know that that's kind of why John wrote this letter was to address that. So I want you to first of all know that when you question deeply, when you have doubts, when you have questions, you are a human being. And so what we want to do today is kind of there's two things. I mean, we could maybe in the future we'll talk about this on a longer for a longer series. But for today, there's two things I want to look at. How can you and I strengthen our assurance grow in that and secondly what are the benefits of that because they're rather striking so let's talk about the assurance of our salvation that is my personal salvation i put my faith in christ and i want to walk with confidence so let's put up some guardrails remember john's statement in chapter three there's many such statements in the book of John. No one born of God, verse 9, makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. There's a principle there. He can't keep on sinning because he's been born of God. When we talk about assurance, 
There's oftentimes two extremes that we want to avoid. One of them is rather simplistic in nature that says, well, did, at some point in time, did you raise your hand? Did you believe in Jesus? Did you, did you sign on the dotted line? Whatever. Here's your verse. Like a Tylenol, take it and then talk to me in the morning. That's not the full scope of what assurance looks like in Scripture. But there's an equally wrong way to look at it, very destructive on the other side of the scale. We call it legalism. In which you're constantly basing your assurance on your performance. And you can never gain assurance because you just think you're not good enough. Well, I sinned yesterday. I mean, if they only knew what I'm thinking behind their back if they only knew what goes on in my mind and so you can spend your life questioning whether you're born again because you're looking solely at your performance instead of the performance of jesus christ his sinless life his death on the cross god's provision for us So let's strike a biblical balance. Let's look. There's a couple other verses I just want to highlight. While we're at it, it is healthy to test our faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? This is not an obsession. This is not obsessively testing yourself over and over again. But when you go out and you buy a used car, I mean, you kick the tires, right? You want to make sure that, you know, the guy trying to sell you this car, that it is what he's saying it is, right? That the tires don't fall off. The steering wheel actually takes you one way or the other. The beautiful thing that John is showing us through his letter. When we are born again, we will see God at work in us. As we've said many times, sanctification, being made like Christ, looks differently from one person to another. We understand that. But we have the privilege and the blessing of being able to say, this is my confession, and I can see God at work in me. So I'd like to begin with this. How do we strengthen? How do we gain and strengthen our assurance? I'm just telling you, I want to wake up every morning knowing that I belong to the Lord. Knowing that He is with me. Knowing my sins are forgiven. So I'd like to give you five. None of these, none of them should surprise you. The first one is this. The word of God. Psalm 1 speaks about the one who meditates on the word of God, the law of the Lord, day and day. And night. Psalm 1, verse 2. Meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. 
Very important statement, and it's no surprise, it is right at the beginning of the book of Psalms. How we engage the word of God is so important. To meditate on God's word is to slow down, to digest it, to consider it, to let it penetrate us. And then he says day and night, like it's just all the time. Like it's just something that should be our culture, our lifestyle as believers is whenever we can, we're in the word. I mean, we live in a generation where you don't just have to read it. You can listen to it when you're going on a walk, when you're in the car. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to engage God's word. If you have your Bibles, please turn or scroll to 1 Peter chapter 2. Very important principle here. Verse 1, 1 Peter 2, 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, right? So those things that might have marked you or mark an unbeliever before you, before you were a believer, you just stop, stop it. Don't, don't, don't live that way anymore. Verse 2, in honor of little Joshua Collins. Like newborn infants, long for, this, for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Long for it. Long for it. But don't stop there. Go for the meat. That's in honor of Colin, right? That's, that's a little... Well, um, you want to make sure that your spiritual diet is rich in the word of God. Right underneath this pulpit is an open-faced Bible that was placed there nine years ago in the concrete to remind us that the teaching in this church must always be from the word of God because the word of God never fails. It never passes away. But here's my question. Are we not busy today? Do we not have a million and one things to distract us constantly? There's always pressing needs to be attended to. There's these phones that we have that can distract us. There's lots of things that can pull us away from a rich walk with the Lord that is saturated with his truth. Long for the word. Make time for the word and meet him there because when you engage the word of God, you see the promises of God and you see the truth of the gospel. That this is about what Christ has done for us, not our ability or desire to to have some level of performance. And I want to say this regarding assurance. Some of you, like my wife Christine, can look back and say, well, That's when I became a Christian. For her, it was when she was in college. Many of us have a different story. Perhaps you grew up in a Christian family, like I did. Truth is, I can't remember a time when I didn't love Jesus. I think I know the time when I put my faith in Christ, but I... Yeah. 
one old preacher put it this way. I think it's a very good illustration. He said, there's two people that were kind of traveling from here to there. There was a long walk. They didn't arrive at the same time, but they both arrived soaking wet, like drenched. When the first guy showed up, he said, man, when I left, you know, 45 minutes ago to get here, I mean, the sun was out. It was great. I'm just going along my way. I look up and there are some dark clouds. And before I knew it, just like that, I was drenched. I mean, a storm came and the rain was pouring and here I am soaking wet. Well, the other guy shows up and was like, you know, it was kind of drizzling the entire time. But by the time I got here, I'm soaking wet. Because, well, I mean, at some point, like when I first started, it was like like a mist or a fog. And then it's like drizzle. And I didn't really see any storms or, but 45 minutes or so walking in that, well, I'm going to be wet too. My point is this. We in the States, we tend to focus a lot on experience. And I'd like to shift that to objective truth. You see... You may or may not be able to look back and say, well, that was the day that I became a Christian. The important thing is your confession right now. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's the question. Don't torture yourself if you don't know exactly when that date was. And even for some of you who became Christians in your adult life, it's like, well... I just remember there was this, the summer of whatever it was, that summer, God was working in me and I was challenged with the gospel. And all I know is, praise God, seven years later, I am not the same person that I was back then. Saints, love the word of God, study the word of God, read the word of God, saturate your mind with the word of God, because God will use his truth to build you up to strengthen you, and to bring you much comfort. Number two, equally not a shocker, prayer. We were all here, most of us, last Sunday. What did your prayer life look like this week? You see, again, the same principle. We have so many things that distract us that we don't give ourselves to this very vital link, which is our connect, our communion with God. And it gets filled with so many other things. You might recall the Pilgrim's Progress, the author of the Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. He wrote this powerful quote on prayer. I want to share it with you because this really helps me in my own prayer life. This helps me thinking through what it even looks like, in my case, to be a man of prayer. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart to God. Sincere, pouring your heart out to the Lord, being real with Him, implication, We've all got a lot of things on our mind that we're working through. 
Through Christ, he's the mediator. In the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit. For such things as God has promised according to his word. I love how he works in the promises of God, the word of God, the truth of God, God, the spirit ministering to us, even in prayer for the good of the church. So remember, the truth for you is actually going to be true for everybody else, too. Right. You don't have the corner on the market. With submission in faith to the will of God. That's our disposition is we have a a submission to the Lord and he ministers to us through that. I realize that I'm not telling you anything thus far that you don't already know. My purpose is not to guilt you. My purpose is to encourage you. So many of us believers live distracted lives and we wind up being very weak because we're constantly away from the truth of God or as they say, the presence of God. Third, don't underestimate this communion called different things by different believers. But you know, when we gather, when we have communion in this setting right here, oftentimes I'll ask you to kind of break that little cracker, especially for you tactile learners so that you can feel those crumbs falling down your hands. You see that beautiful moment that is God giving you and me a tangible expression and reminder of the love that he has for us, of redemption. When we take the cup, that's the blood of Christ. That is representing for us the blood of Christ, the blood of the Son of God. Think that one through. God with us, Emmanuel. He came, Philippians 2. He took on the form of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He suffered and he died for my sins. I'm not going to be punished for for them because he already has. That's why Paul says, and every time, every time that you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's the purpose of it. He doesn't need a reminder. You do. Christ has laid down his life and you have put your faith and your confidence in the provision that God has given us. Number four, this is important. Now, fellowship. Turn or scroll to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm here to tell you that you cannot live the Christian life without your brothers and sisters. Just can't. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Do you see what fellowship does? Fellowship is intentional. It's not passive. 
Let us consider. Let us give thought to. Let's plan this out. How to stir one another up for love and good works. Why? Because we're human and we tend to slide toward that which is most comfortable or that which is most convenient for us. No, no, that's not what we're called to. We're called to stir one another up, to give thought to how we can stir one another up to love people and to do good. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day coming. I understand these are difficult days. Find you a way to connect with your brothers and sisters. Find a way to do that. It is so necessary because I need you speaking into my life, preventing me from becoming lazy or or detached. And you need that too. Being together. I always say this. I know I'm the pastor. But there's nothing like it for me on a Sunday morning. That's like, it's like the highlight of the week. Because I can look around the room and say, all these people are here because they love Jesus. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this. When you gather together in a smaller Bible study, maybe it's over Zoom, maybe it's in person. Oh, I'm not alone in this. There's other people. And they have struggles too. They have doubts too. They have challenges too. They have things they're walking through. I'm not the only one. I'm just saying, it's the best. So value this. Um, Number five. Trials. Trials are typically not within your control. But every single one of us, we walk through trials. Some of them fiery. Some of them seemingly unending. Be it persecution, be it grief, be it relational challenges, you name it. Peter talks about trials of many different kinds. We know we live in a fallen world. But saints, I am here to tell you, this is my personal testimony through the trials, the deep trials that I have walked through, not one time is there an exception. God has been faithful. I might not always feel him. In fact, so often we don't. Right? Oh, but as I continue to walk through it, I see his faithfulness. And I see that he grows me. And I see that as I come to the other end of it, My walk with Christ is deeper and better than it was before. My point being this. Do not despise your trials. I promise you. Though the night is dark. God will never let go of you ever. And through those trials. 
Scripture says we can encourage one another. The Lord does not let us go. He does not let us go. Through our trials, my prayer, your prayer should be, when you have a moment of sane thinking, Lord, what can I learn from this? Or maybe it's not even that. You just celebrate the fact that you're still here and you're still standing. Then take inventory and remember what God has done in and through you. Why is this topic of assurance important? I'm stating the obvious here. I'll list off a few. When we walk in assurance, when we have confidence in the Lord's love for us, oh, it begets such joy. Joy is the natural outflow of of our closeness to the Lord and our confidence that he will indeed perform for us that which he has promised because he is faithful. Assurance. Focus, if you will. Focus on the truth. It develops perspective and specifically contentment. There was a little girl who fell ill while she was young. This was not in this generation. Medicine was put in her eyes that wasn't actually helpful. We don't know all the details, but it would seem that because of that medicine that she shouldn't have had in her eyes, she became blind. Even as a kid, she resolved to be content in her circumstances. Fanny Cosby would then go on to write many, many, many hymns for us. One of them being Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. You see, in our trials, the Lord gives us contentment and joy that comes from the confidence. I know him. He will never leave me and he will never forsake me. Saints, it gives us energy and strength in service. You find me a congregation in which people are walking in the assurance of their salvation. They're giving attention to it and they are focused on it and they're growing in that. That will be a congregation that is engaged in the Lord's service. In so many different ways. But the key word being it is the energy is what drives you to serve. Right? We want to avoid burnout. We want to avoid, you know, with a moan and a groan. Okay, I got to do this. No, 
when we, when we are walking closely with the Lord, that joy that's on the inside, we, we want to serve in different ways. Because we know what the Lord has done for us. Assurance of our salvation, listen, it promotes holiness. When you walk in confidence, when you know that you know, when your mind is set on heavenly things, it becomes more and more difficult to sin. That's just how it works. Because you're aware, more aware of the Lord's love for you. You're more aware of of the Son of God who suffered and died for you. How are you going to continue on in that which put him on the tree in the first place? As one teacher of old put it, assurance hastens heaven. We know that when we die, we will be with the Lord. We will go to heaven. But this is what I want for you, sincerely, for me, is to bring heaven to earth. For us to have that joy, that love in our hearts, where we know who we are. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and verse 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. I use this illustration often because I travel often. You've got to have your passport when you travel internationally. That little passport is the declaration to whatever government you're near, whatever country you're in that's not your own, that you are a citizen of, in my case, the United States. The spirit inside of you is God's declaration that you belong to him, he has purchased you, and that you are a citizen of heaven come hell or high water. Romans 8, that's how he ends it. I am convinced, I'm persuaded that nothing, nobody, no circumstance will separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That is what the Lord wants for us. Paul summed it up in Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I'm just going to ask you a question. You take one person who's, who, of whom that is true and you put him, you put her in an office, you put them in the neighborhood, you put them whatever, PTA, Whatever it is, that person is going to get attention. Read it again. <clears throat> May the God of hope. Don't tell me that there are times when you feel there is no hope. And Lord knows we know people around us feel that way. He's the God of hope and he's your God. May he fill you with joy. Fill you with joy and peace. Imagine just those two, joy and peace. That's who you are. 
walking around, going to the store, doing your things, that's going to affect other people. But it's not by your strength, your might, your effort. Watch what he says. By the power of the Holy Spirit. You may abound in hope as the world crumbles literally all around you. We're almost done. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to go back to Hebrews 10. Maybe some of you still have it open to that page. By design. Remember that verse we just read about not forsaking the assembling together and and mingling together and being together however you can? Watch what he says a little bit before that. This one doesn't always make the highlight reel, but boy, it's a good one. Hebrews 9 and 10, by the way, these two chapters are the most colossal statement on the beauty of the gospel The son of God, the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus was the only one who could do this. Jesus is not like the high priest dudes from the Old Testament. He had no sin of his own. He laid down his life once. He never brought an animal. He didn't bring a sacrifice. He brought himself. And when he did, it stuck. Verse 22. Let us... Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let's do that, he says. When you come to the Lord, you come with full assurance. That's his desire. That's what he wants for us. I give you this quote from centuries past. Assurance will support us even when we are experiencing nothing but outward misery and trouble. That's the Christian's great hope. In those times when we cannot be assured of anything else, such as our homes, our safety, or lives, assurance of God's grace worked in our souls will be a wall of marble that cannot be beaten down. There are many saints who have gone before us who had zero confidence in anything else in this life. But God loves me. God has purchased me. And I belong to him. That is the nature. Oh, you know, I I had a little picture here too. So I want to, we'll end with this one right here. So this is, take you back down to Brazil. Um, The brother in the middle here, this was from four years ago when we built a literacy literacy center in the village there. The gospel had come into the Terena tribe about a hundred years prior. And to listen to how they were taking the gospel with great fervor all throughout their tribe. There's villages and then there's the tribe, the people. And the tribe was not just in Brazil, but also in neighboring countries as well. 
this brother right here was talking. I mean, we're trying to shovel the ground. And he is just talking endlessly about their mission trips, about going and taking the gospel. And I am telling you, the other brother, whatever side he is, on the other end, that's Mike. He speaks Portuguese. So he's translating. It was just so uplifting. They were just red hot to take the gospel wherever they could, especially in their own personal tribe. Saints, I just ask you this question. Do we have that fervor? That fervor will always come when we develop our, our assurance, our confidence in him, when we ponder the promises of God and we remember what God has done for us and we set our mind on the word. It will protect us from wasting our life and our time on lesser things. Would you... Well, there was one other verse too. Um, we looked at this last week. First John 3.16. Remember John 3.16? We know that one. This is First John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Remember, it's not the fact that he laid down his life. It's the fact that he laid down his life. That Christ laid down his life. And so we ought to do the same for the brothers, right? When we can fully grasp the love of God, when we can become comforted by that and assured in that, it rips through our insecurities. It gives us strength. It gives us perspective to go out and to love people, to serve the Lord, to preach the gospel. Now, would you join me for a word of prayer? We very well could spend weeks on assurance, its benefits, and ways to grow in it. Saints, our prayer for this congregation is that we would walk in confidence, knowing who we are in Christ, believing what the Bible says about us, rejoicing in the work of God in and through our lives, so that we would not grow lazy, but rather be strengthened, encouraged, And fervent in our walk with the Lord, our service for him, our prayers for others, our love for others. Heavenly Father, thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel. Thank you for the good news of the resurrection. Thank you for the objective truth that as we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, he who has the Son has life now. Oh Lord, I pray that you would minister to each and every one of us. We are prone to wander We all have questions. Oh Lord, I pray that you would meet us right where we are. Romans 8, 16, the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
Oh, I pray that you would bring great comfort and assurance to your people. That we would be red hot in our service for you. That we would have that eternal perspective. That we would grow more and more secure in the knowledge of your acceptance of us. Your love for us which is unconditional. That we would be good news to those around us. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.